I'm going to pray for us as we begin. Father in heaven, thank you for a new day of grace, uh, a new day of mercy, uh, a new day uh, to gather as your people uh, in your presence. We pray that you'd uh, meet with us. Uh, We pray you'd bless us, be kind to us. In the name of the Lord Jesus, uh, open our minds, lift our hearts, uh, strengthen uh, our knees, we pray, in order that we might be faithful disciples. Uh, All these things we ask for his glory's sake. Amen. Okay, so we're starting this new series um, uh, as of this week. I might just turn that down one sec. Um, so if you're new to Sunday School, uh, a warm welcome. Thanks for coming along. Um, what I want to think about for four weeks, actually, four weeks in a row, is basically membership. Um, a little series on church, on Christchurch Central in particular, and membership. Um, perhaps you've been around for a while and you've wondered why we do certain things. There are certain things that seem odd or strange. Or perhaps you're new and... Um, just the, the way things happen aren't quite like the way things happened at your last church. It seems a bit odd and you're wondering what's going on. Um, you've got loads of questions. What on earth is a Presbyterian? Oh. These sort of things. Um, you know, why do you baptise babies? I'm not going to guarantee to answer all of them in the next four weeks by any means. But what I hope is, it, is these four weeks will be a bit like, you know, you go and see a house and you, you kind of, you walk around it and the, the estate agent shows you, oh, here's the lounge, here's the bathroom, here's the whatever. Or we just do it on right move. You take a little tour. But that's what I want these four weeks to be, so that when we come to membership, and I'm going to explain more about membership in just a minute, you, you kind of know, know what it is you're buying into, as it were. No one, buys a, no one buys a house or a car without looking at it first. So this is like the, the, the walk-around tour, so we, we all understand what we're doing uh, when it comes to membership. And today we're going to think about membership itself, which in some ways is to start at the end of the process. Um, so I'm not pretending that by the end of this session we'll all be ready to say yeah I do or I don't want to become a member of Christchurch but today I want to just lay out what, what membership is sort of why it matters uh, what, what's the sort of bible basis for it and then in the following weeks I think I put it on your sheets we're going to have three more sessions uh, one thinking about what it means to be a Presbyterian church uh, one what it means to be part of a messy church no church is perfect so how does how does stuff work at Christchurch when things go wrong and then also what does it mean to be part of the IPC okay denomination we're part of so that, there's a little foretaste of what's coming uh, but let's start with membership what what is membership okay for some of you this will be really old hat you've been in other churches and you've been members there and so it all makes perfect sense for some of you and this was my experience for the first probably 10 plus years of being a christian i'd never heard of the idea of being a member uh, of a church i was in good churches bible store all the rest of it just just hadn't come across it well, to back up a little bit, just, just think about the gospel. When God saves us, he doesn't just save us as individuals, does he? Sort of what, you know, all on our own, little sort of separate units. He saves us into a community. Um, if you've got a Bible on the table, c- come with me to the book of Ephesians. So Ephesians, three pictures we'll look at very quickly in Ephesians. So Ephesians 2, we, you, I think you can map these roughly onto the persons of the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. So Ephesians 2 and verse 18. For through him, that's Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father, so that you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens 
uh, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. You're part of the house, the family uh, of the Father. But in this um, same book, just a few verses earlier, chapter 1 and verse 22, uh, we read that he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet, and gave Jesus as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So we're both the, 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 the family, the household of the Father. We're also the body of the Son. And back in chapter 2 again, verse 21. Uh, Jesus is the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We're also the temple uh, of the Holy Spirit. Those are just three images of the church in the New Testament. I think I put some other kind of cross-references down there. We won't go there now. Um, but there are many more, and, but all of them in some ways have one thing in common, which is they're all, um, they're all pictures where you have individual units that combine to make something greater. So a body is made up of fingers and eyes and noses and toes and kidneys and livers, but they're all one body. A temple is made up of, or a house or whatever, uh, it's made up of all sorts of stones built together, but they're into one structure. A family, there's the brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles, but they're only ultimately one family. All of which is basically a way of saying it's not possible to be a Christian and not be in the church. Paul never says, um, he saved you, and then you decided to join a church. They're just one, um, one action. It's not possible to be a Christian and not be part of the church. So we are members of Christ's body. We don't join his body. When you're saved, when you become a Christian, you just are part of his body. You just are part of the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are part of the household of the Father. You are a son or a daughter of God. And, and, and therefore, that, that ought to be seen, worked out, in a commitment to a local church. Again, the, the picture of the New Testament. If you read through a book like Acts, for example... Or, or get the idea from the epistles, the letters, is that, that, that we, we show that we're members of the family of God, not just by walking around telling people, oh, I'm, you know, I'm God's child, but by committing to the other members of the family. Okay, there is a, um, a visible expression of the spiritual reality. And that really is what all membership is. Um, so I put a definition from an um, American pastor down here. He's, he's not actually a Presbyterian, he's a Baptist, but... Same idea. Church membership is a formal relationship between a local church and a Christian, characterised by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship and the Christian's submission to living out his or her discipleship in the care of the church. It is like a sort of a formal recognition that, that we belong to one particular congregation. Now, the stuff on submission and oversight and the rest, I'll work that, we'll work that through um, a bit later in this session. So what we're going to do is, we're, we're gonna, in a moment, we're going to look at some passages around, around tables, uh, thinking about why church membership. Um, it, it might be worth saying, this isn't a Presbyterian thing. Okay, so really, all, almost all denominations have this. Um, Baptist church, usually pretty explicitly, have membership. Congregational churches. Even the Church of England officially has members, has an electoral role. Slightly confused there, because, because it's a state church, as it's the official church of England, um, basically, if you live in the village or in the parish, 
you can kind of get yourself to be a member. So it's, that's why, on the whole, if you've been part of an evangelical Anglican church, they tend to sort of downplay it a little bit because they don't really want everybody in the village or the town becoming members, um, which they have the right to do. So a friend of mine who was a, a vicar in um, Church of England minister in, a, in an area of Nottingham, um, the, a, a bunch of the congregation decided they didn't like him because he was, he was evangelical. And so they went, when, it, when it came to the church meeting, where you vote in the kind of other officials in the church... PCC in particular in Anglican circles they went round the area and just knocked on doors and got people to sign up to become church members which had the right to do because they live in the parish so all these people who never been to church um, just were signed up because the guy was knocking the door saying there's a new vicar and he's a psycho, if you sign up um, you can become a part of the church then you just have to turn up to this meeting, vote for who we tell you to vote and that way we'll be able to you know, limit the mental vicar kind of thing and it, it worked um, just because you basically can't say no. So it is there, even in Anglicanism, if that's your background, it is there, just pretty understandably, if you've been in a sort of evangelical Anglican church, probably they haven't made a huge deal of it. Um, yeah. So it's not a Presbyterian thing, by any means. Um, but I do, think it's a, a, I do think it's a biblical thing, a helpful thing. So round tables, I've given you, I think, three passages. Um, if someone wants to sort of take the lead on each table, uh, just to get you through it, maybe if three... You know, Three different people find each of the passages. And if you just work through those questions, not every question will necessarily have answers in every verse. So don't get too sucked into the weeds of things. Uh, but it's basically trying to work out what does it tell us about the duties of members and leaders, why they should fulfill those duties and how they should do it. If you get time at the end, you can do the kind of imagine questions. You know, an ideal church would have leaders who and members who. But the key thing really is just trying to pick through those verses um, for answers to those questions. All right, um, you might not have got through everything. That's absolutely fine. But the hope was just to give you a few passages that, that although they don't use the word membership in the direct sense, I think speak to this dynamic. Um, so just, just to focus in on one, let's look at the Hebrews 13 one. And this is, this is all under trying to explain why we have membership. Okay, is, it, is, is it something that whatever Peter, Matt and I invented last elders meeting? Or does it grow out of scripture? So Hebrews 13 and just verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that will be no advantage to you. There's a verse to have over your mirror in the morning when you brush your teeth. That's a good one. Um, what's this got to do with membership? Well, at first, at first blush, nothing. It doesn't say membership. It doesn't talk about committing or anything like that. But when, when you try and think through how would, I, how would I keep this verse, how would I obey this verse, I think it becomes obvious that you, you have to be in a committed relationship with a local church to do so. So, uh, obey your leaders. Well, which leaders? This is a verse just telling all Christians... Um, to obey absolutely everybody who's in any leadership role in any congregation anywhere in the world. As if there's just this kind of, I don't know, hierarchy. Anyone who calls himself a vicar or a priest or an elder or an overseer or a bishop or an apostle or whatever, you just have to obey them. Um, do you have to submit to the Pope? As in, do you guys this morning, do you have to submit to the Pope? He calls himself a church leader. What about the Archbishop of Canterbury? Do you have to submit to him? What about um, Wes up at Emmanuel Baptist or Gary and Tom up at Redeemer? What about Matt Hatch at Mosaic? 
well, no, none of them. You ought to respect them, most of them, um, and be polite and honorary, you know, respect their office. And, you, of course, you recognize that um, in lots of their cases, um, they are faithful men pastoring churches. But they're not your leaders specifically. And to be honest, it would be absolutely impossible to submit to all of them, wouldn't it? Even take, take a nearby church that is totally Bible-believing and we get on really well with. Um, so take, take Emmanuel Baptist. Okay? We're doing a joint carol service with them. Great church. If, if, if you've just had a baby and you come to Wes and say, what shall I do? Shall I baptise it? He will say, no, of course not. Okay, then you come to me and say, should I Bible say, Yeah, totally. Bible says you should do it. Which way are you go? Okay, you can't possibly go both ways. You've got to do something. Uh, you need to know who your particular leaders are or elders. I'm going to come back in a future week to how this whole kind of church structure works. I know I haven't talked about that, but what about me? Okay, I'm an elder, says so Peter, says so Matt. Um, who do we have to give an account for? Okay, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Who, I, who do I have to give an account for on the last day? Every Christian in the world? Well, obviously not. Every Christian leads? No. Everybody who walks through the door on a Sunday morning? No. Everybody who comes for two weeks, three weeks? Four, well, no, I don't think so. It's those who are, are, are members who have committed to this fellowship, this congregation. And therefore, just as you need to know who, is, who has got pastoral authority over you, we as elders need to know who we are caring for, who we are responsible for. We obviously don't have the capacity to cover absolutely everybody. So who, who is in the particular flock or the corner of the flock, if you like, um, that we're caring for? And then finally, the third question, just for all of us as Christians, never mind whether we're elders or, or not, um, who are we responsible for, uh, for caring for? Whose burdens are we called to share primarily? Who are we called to pray for? You know, all these, these sort of one another commands in the New Testament, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, all the rest of it. Who? I meant to pray for all Christians everywhere? You can't, can you? There are particular people who, because of their proximity, their closeness to you, you bear particular responsibility for. And those are the brothers and sisters who are part of uh, your church. Uh, actually, all the way through the Bible, there is this inside-outside dynamic. Okay? Pe- people do more or less keep lists of who's in and who's out. So in the Old Testament, for example, not everybody could just walk into the temple. Okay? You had to be part of one of the 12 tribes of Judah, and they knew what family and clan and everything you were from. It wasn't just a free-for-all. Um, in the New Testament, at various points, you know, Timothy, for example, is told to keep a list of... Um, not of all members, but of widows and who needs care and who doesn't and all the rest of it. So the, just the inherent idea of keeping a list of God's people isn't somehow sort of unspiritual. Okay? Again, various books of the Old Testament absolutely stuffed full of huge lists of families and clans and names and all, all the rest of it. Uh, and just, just very practically, two other things that grow out of this which we'll cover in future weeks. One is when it comes to the whole area of church discipline, which we'll talk about when, the week about welcome to a messy church, um, who are we responsible for, for disciplining okay, as a congregation? We, we need to know, um, because it can't just be anyone who walks through the door any one Sunday. And when it comes to voting, okay, so, so choosing who's going to be, say, another elder or a deacon, or whether we buy a building or something like that, who, who gets a vote? Just everybody walks in? Whoever happens to be there that Sunday? So some of these pretty practical matters... Um, find their solution in the idea of a formal church membership.
So just in the last sort of five minutes or so, I, I want to run through very quickly um, what the criteria and, and the process for membership is. Uh, what, what, what's the qualification, the criteria for membership? Well, very simply, it's the same as qualification criteria for coming into Jesus' kingdom. Okay, I think you'd be a bit offside if Jesus had a, you know, this is, this is what gets you into my kingdom. And then we said, well, that's fine. But to become part of our church, you also need dot, dot, dot. Um, so what's the qualification for entering the kingdom of God? Repenting and believing the good news. Okay, believing the gospel. Okay, and that is the criteria for becoming a member at Christchurch, or frankly, any IPC church or most Presbyterian churches. Um, the, the language that often is used is that of a credible profession of faith. So if, as far as any human being can tell, you seem to be believing the gospel and are, are wanting and willing to join the local church, then frankly, that is it as a criteria for membership. I put on the sheets there some material from what's called the Book of Church Order. Um, all denominations have these. Um, it's, IBC's got one. It's basically a sort of a little book laying out how we work. You just have to make some practical decisions on things. So this is kind of where we go with it. And the section on becoming a member, a communing member. A communing member just means you take communion in case you're an adult. Uh, a person must, one, have been baptised, whether as a child or as an adult, because okay, that's the entry sign. It's not that baptism makes you a Christian. It's the first sign, um, of the sign of entry into the church. Demonstrate a credible profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour and Lord. Okay, believe the gospel as far as we can tell. And then have publicly declared and affirmed to the congregation their profession of faith and acceptance of membership, whether verbally or in writing. It's basically just saying, and then they have to say, yes, I want to be a member. Okay, you don't just jump on people and force them into membership. And normally, clause four, normally you wouldn't be a member of two churches, because then obviously all those questions, whose authority am I under, who am I shepherd, all the rest of it, gets very confusing. You might get odd exceptions in missionary circumstances or something, but that would be rare. Uh, the last little bit there basically just says, if you think, when we get to this process, if you think you've been horribly mistreated by Matt or Peter or me, then you can appeal to presbytery. And we'll, we'll, again, that'll become clear what that is in future weeks. So you're not totally at the mercy of the, the local church. So if the criteria is simply you're a Christian, okay, believe the gospel, what are the responsibilities? Well, most of them are, are things we've covered above. That The main um, responsibility and privilege, the main privilege is that of becoming part of a local church and therefore coming under the care of the local elders and coming under the care, the shared fellowship of a local congregation. And the main responsibilities are therefore a commitment to use our gifts, our time, our energy to support the church. Again, if you there's nothing kind of particularly revolutionary, new or different or Presbyterian about that. It's simply saying I, I will actually commit to a local church. I'm not just going to sign up, okay, because they, always want, they all want us to sign up for some reason. I am going to use my, the things that Christ has given me for the purpose of building up his church. Because ultimately that is what Jesus is about. I will build my church, he says. And the gates of Hades won't overcome it. What is Jesus doing now? He's building his church. So if we want to join him, then we join him in what he's doing and he's building. So likewise we build. At a more formal level, a few things kick in. Normally, only members are allowed to teach within a church, so be a Sunday school leader or community group leader or focus leader or whatever. Normally, that would just be members. Uh, you get to vote, uh, as I've said, um, especially on sort of big things like appointments um, and the right of appeal if you, if you 
are fed up with your local elders, you can, you can go above them to, to Presbytery and Synod. Again, save that for a future week. So finally, how do you become a member? Uh, again, a little section for the Book of Church Order. Uh, the way the membership is recognised publicly involves one of the following three procedures. But they're all basically the same. Either by public profession of faith, so perhaps you were baptised as an infant, um, but never made a public declaration of faith before. Uh, or by being baptised, okay, baptised, coming into the church. Um, or it could be that the session, the session is just a, that is a bit of a Presbyterian term, <coughs> session is just a term for the elders. Okay, it's from the Latin word to sit down, so, they, so when they're sitting down talking. Um, so when the elders, the session, you've previously been baptised, you're a member of another church, um, and so the elders say, yep, okay, we can bring you on board. Um, so all that's saying really is that um, not everybody has to stand at the front of church, especially if they're kind of slightly nervous and don't really like doing that kind of thing, and um, make an announcement about it. Um, what it does mean is ultimately that those responsible for bringing in members saying, yep, we're going to bring you into the church, that is in the hands of the elders. So very practically how this would normally work is if someone wanted to become a member of the church, then probably a couple of the elders would meet with you. Um, again, not like the Spanish Inquisition, but just chat with you, to, hey, tell us what you believe, get to know you a little bit, um, because we have to, we have to um, make the call uh, on who is becoming formal uh, members or not. Okay, and again, all that they'd be looking for, any elders who met you, just, just does this person believe the gospel? Okay, you'd have to be a brilliant theologian, you'd have to be able to articulate it superbly or anything like that. But is this person basically trusting Jesus to forgive their sins and live with him as Lord? What then happens is you, you would have to make these five promises, six promises. The first one is pretty obvious. Do you hold to the Christian faith? The second one, have you been baptised? third one is just going deeper on the, on the cross. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sins? And then the last ones are about the church. Do you recognise the authority of the elders and assent to the governance and oversight of the IPC and willing to accept their discipline if that should be necessary? Do you promise to support the church? Again, prayer, money, time, practical care. And will you work for practical, um, sorry, will you commit yourself to building and maintaining healthy relationships within the church, treating your fellow brothers, uh, your believers as brothers and sisters in Christ? So really, it's just, do you believe the gospel and are you willing to get stuck in at church? Okay, if you, it's not very formal language, but that's, that's all, it's all it's about. Um, really have to take some questions here's three that often come up so i just thought i'd head them off okay um does this mean i have to be a presbyterian to be a member absolutely not okay absolutely not um you have to be a christian to be a member in one sense i couldn't care less if you're a presbyterian okay um i think it's a good thing to be a presbyterian i'm a presbyterian it's a biblical thing um you'll come to riches and glory if you do come to be a presbyterian but ultimately of course course none of i'm sure i speak for peter i couldn't care less we do care if you're a christian um but you know of the, the course there are true brothers for example who i don't know don't think don't like baptizing kids or would organize that would like to have bishops and archbishops or whatever it might be or want to speak into i don't know all sorts of things all sorts of things good bible people be believing people disagree on and you might have strong convictions on them and they might be different to the, the sort of presbyterian convictions that we'll come to in a, in a couple of weeks that's fine um, it would mean you wouldn't be able to become an elder. 
Okay, so to become an elder, you'd have to agree with the, the doctrinal basis of the church, because the church has to have, take some position on things, doesn't it? So all churches have to take positions on what you might call secondary issues. So to be an elder, you'd have to agree with this particular church's position on some of those secondary things. But to be a member, not at all. So hence, do I have to agree with infant baptism? People often ask that. No. Um, all I would say is, if it's going to drive you nuts every time we baptise a baby or something, probably you want to go to a man Baptist. Or something like that. As in, it, or if you're going to feel the need to stand up every time I baptise a baby and say, no, you shouldn't be doing it. Like, again, it's not really going to work out either end, is it? Okay, so there is a bit of a commitment to work for the peace and purity of the church. Okay? Every church I've been a minister of has had people in who disagree with the position I would take on baptism, and it's been totally fine, I think. Um, but obviously, if it really riles you or... If you're absolutely determined that we need prophecy sessions each week, it probably makes sense um, to be elsewhere if you can't sort of suck it up, as it were. Um, lastly, can I be a member if I'm a student? Yep, absolutely. I just come back to the thing of two churches. So I, student life is weird, isn't it? Half a year in one place, half a year in another. Um, so it, that just needs a bit of ch- chatting about and, and managing. If you're mostly here most of the time, I think it makes sense to be a member here. If you spend most of your time at home, probably makes sense to be a member of the home church. Um, it's just a bit of an unusual time. So that's really one to take on a case-by-case basis. But yeah, absolutely. Uh, Membership is not, you know, you'd have to be over 22 or whatever um, and um, finish uni or anything like that. So there we go. That's a little bit of of a sort of a dash through on membership. At this stage, we've only got about a minute. Does anyone want to ask anything at this stage? Okay, I know there's all sorts of things on the horizon, but um, off the back of this morning, or are we happy? Yeah, it's happy. Great. Well, let me pray, and then we'll turn church around. Do grab me, obviously, if you've got things you, you just don't want to ask in public. Lord Jesus, we praise you that it is you who is building the church. Um, all the power, uh, all the wisdom uh, comes from above, not from uh, us. And we pray that um, wherever you call us to serve and whatever roles you call us to serve in, that we would be faithful um, following in your footsteps. Uh, Lord Jesus, we pray that we would be a church that acknowledges your authority alone, uh, ultimately, uh, and receives every word you say to us with joy and delight. Bless us, we pray, uh, by the power of your spirit. Amen.